Amen. Thank you for that great reminder to our worship team. The blood of Jesus speaks for us, and most importantly, Jesus himself speaks for us. He is our advocate. And how about that flautist over there? You know, she's mine, right? Yeah, using the 25-cent word, flautist, and that's a whole lot better than calling her a tutor, isn't it? Uh, she normally doesn't like it when I do that, so I'm not going to do that today. Hey, let's turn in our Bibles to the 16th chapter of Matthew. I told you last week on Easter that I'd be coming back a section, and I'm going to do that today, beginning in verse 13. And I want to talk today about our lives can be transformed by God when we come to the right conclusion about Jesus. In fact, we can help others experience transformation by God when they come to understand the truth about Jesus. And this passage is the one that directs us in that way. Look with me in Acts 16, verse 13 and following. And when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will keep uh, excuse me, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And then he strictly charged his disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. And you might say, wow, Randy, that latter half of that passage provokes a lot of questions. There's a lot in there. And I would say you're right, which is why we're going to do it next week. <laughs> So there's just too much there for one week, and you don't want to be here until uh, dinner time. So let's just talk about the first half today. Matthew is shifting his perspective in this gospel account. Uh, it's a shift that is really recognizable when we're reading through Luke's narrative of the gospel. Oh, about uh, halfway through, or a little over, he begins to make the shift where Jesus is going towards Jerusalem in order to be uh, crucified and resurrected. John says it's, I mean, Luke says it's something like this. Uh, the words of the prophets were until John, and since then the kingdom of God has been preached. Those are not the exact verbatim words, but it's something like that. And he's helping us to sense a shift in the dynamics of the narrative of the gospel, that Jesus is inclined from that point forward to move towards Calvary. We get it in Matthew because the Mount of Transfiguration scene has happened where Jesus has revealed his glory. Uh, last week we talked about that he said, I must go to Jerusalem and I must be turned over to sinful men and die at their hands and be resurrected. Uh, so we're, we're sensing a shift. Now Jesus is giving us a little bit more insight to that in this passage and where it's taking place. 
It's taking place in an area called Caesarea Philippi, which is in the northern portion of Israel. In fact, of all the tribes, uh, Dan chose, uh, disobediently, but Dan chose the northern section of Israel uh, in order to settle. I was interested in going there. It was the northern portion of the, the country, right at the border of where Syria is. In fact, off to the, to the left side would have been Lebanon. Uh, I was with a group from this church last year and took this picture over the Syrian valley there. There's actually three mountain areas, and this is sort of the pitch from those areas. It's a dividing line between what is distinctly Jewish and what is Gentile, or in this case, what is Jewish and what is Islamic uh, in that area of Syria. In fact, if I'd pan the camera just a little bit over to the left, which I did in some other photos, there was a little village there. And nonchalantly, our guide said, oh yeah, that village is controlled by ISIS. I'm like, oh, I'm glad on this side rather than on that side. But it really is a beautiful area, and Jesus has chosen to go to that place to spend about a week with his disciples and give them some great insights. Some things are going to happen that we know of in this section. The great confession of Peter that uh, Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, comes while they're there. Maybe they're there in this area. They're looking over Mount Hermes, and there you've got the snow-capped region uh, in the wintertime. Absolutely beautiful. Uh, when the rains fall in that mountainous area, they go into the ground, of course, and at one point, they find a cavernous opening that becomes this great water surge out of the mountain and becomes the headway of the Jordan River. It's absolutely beautiful. When we were there, we were at the border of Israel and we're standing over, we're looking over the Syrian area. And I took a picture of a couple of soldiers that were there. And I think it will help us to see what the Lord is doing there. These are, at first I thought they were Israeli soldiers, but then I recognized that's a UN flag, and those are UN soldiers. And you can see from their monocular, is that what you call when you have a, a one, one scope that you're looking? They're looking over into the area of Syria, and they're checking out their computer. I'm assuming satellite images. I wanted to go check to see what was on the other side because I kind of thought they might be looking at Facebook or something. But at any rate, there they were. And I thought that was a cool image. You say, well, Randy, what does all that have to do with, with uh, the 16th chapter of Matthew? Well, here's what it has to do. The Lord has purposefully withdrawn from an area that is predominantly Jewish in the region of Galilee and in the heart of the Jewish territory, Jerusalem. And he's moved to the northern point, to the borderline. The Jews are behind him and the Gentiles are ahead of him. It's still the same way today. And it's there that Jesus is going to hear the confession of Peter that he is the Christ. He wants to hear that. He wants that to come forth. And then he's going to begin for the very first time to discuss the church. And why that's important is because the people that are before him, what is now modern-day Syria, the Gentiles will become the majority of the populace of the church the Jews having rejected Christ's offering for salvation. Jesus is introducing, introducing an, a, an age of the church which is going to be mostly Gentiles. And we're grateful for that because you and I have been grafted in. And we're part of that great body of Christ as Gentiles. The majority of us are Gentiles. I do have a Messianic Jew who comes 
oftentimes with us and is a member of our church, so I have to be careful not to say we're all Gentiles. Some of us are not all Gentiles, but the majority of us are. This is a great shift that's happening here, and it's there that Jesus asked a general question to his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? Now that's an interesting question. It's one that we ought to give consideration to, just what are people saying about the Son of Man? The reason why that's important is because when we hear them, then we can gauge how we might dialogue with them about the gospel, how we might find them open to the truth of the scripture. So Jesus is asking the disciples, hey, what are people saying about the Son of Man? And of course, they begin to give answers, the first of which is, uh, some people say that you are John the Baptist. Now, that sounds a little odd, because when we're reading Matthew, it hasn't been that long ago that John the Baptist was doing his missional work, which was to prepare the way for Jesus. So we're not talking about that many months ago that John was actually alive doing ministry, but now all of a sudden they're saying, oh, some people think that you're John the Baptist. Well, John the Baptist was doing righteous works, was he not? And certainly Jesus is doing righteous works. And it was actually Herod that sort of lifted this discussion out among the people. Herod, who cut the head of John the Baptist from his body, said when he heard about Jesus and the great righteous works that he was doing, is this John the Baptist who's come alive again? Is this the spirit of John the Baptist? What is going on here? And so that kind of got out among the people that perhaps Jesus is John the Baptist. Others say, no, 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 he's not John the Baptist, he's Elijah. If you remember, Elijah in the Old Testament is this amazing teacher and prophet of God. And Elijah had this miraculous scene that he was part of where a widow and the son was miraculously fed. Remember this? Fed bread. And so when Jesus is a great prophet and a great teacher, and he too feeds miraculously people, some people said, oh, this must be Elijah. He, he must be Elijah that has come again. Others say, no, no, it's Jeremiah. Jeremiah was the prophet of God who was thought by the Hebrew people to return again to tell very important facts about the future to come. Well, that's a redundancy in it, future to come. <laughs> it's Jeremiah because he talks about the future. He tells us important things about God related to future events. He's Jeremiah. And others just can't quite put a name to it. They just say, oh, he's just one of the other prophets. And one of the other prophets of the Old Testament will mean people who have been sent by God with a message from God to be delivered to the people, specific people at a specific time. That's what the prophets were doing. So since Jesus had come from God and had a message of God to a certain people at a certain time, they're just kind of putting it in summary form. Jesus is just one of the prophets. All right, that all sounds good because Jesus is all those characteristics. Jesus is doing righteous acts. He is a great prophet. He is a great teacher. He is doing miraculous feedings. He certainly knows the future and is disclosing the future to people. And he has a message from God sent by God for a certain people for a certain time. The problem with that is that Jesus is not to be compared to men, not even the greatest of men that are written about in the scripture. Sure, Jesus has all those characteristics, but he is so much more than that. See, more than doing just the righteous works of John the Baptist, Jesus is righteousness. And more than being just a prophet like that of Elijah, a great teacher and a prophet who can feed people, Jesus is fully truth and he is the bread of life. 
And more than being just one who can foretell the future as Jeremiah did, he is actually God in the flesh as the Word. And more than just being a messenger of God, he is the message of God. He is the eternal Word made flesh. So compare, if you want, the characteristics of Christ to people who were types of Christ in the Old Testament. The comparison is going to fall short because they don't match Jesus, for he is God in the flesh. Now as a church and as individuals, we need to know that. And we need to understand the depth of that. I've loved that we started our Bible reading, our daily Bible reading as a church, in the Gospel of Matthew. We've gone through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. In fact, we've just concluded that, and we're into Acts. You can call Acts the fifth Gospel if you want, because it is so rich with the Gospel message. But I've loved that because we've begun to learn more and more about Jesus. Kay and I have read through the Gospels, I don't know how many times, but every single day when we're reading God's Word together and praying and writing out things, we are writing new stuff and discovering new things about Christ because his depth is so deep that there's no way we'll ever come to conclusion about all those things. So if you want to know about this Christ, read his word, study his word with great anticipation that he's going to share with you, and then begin to talk that out with other people. In fact, I've got to be careful because I want to make gestures about what's on the screen. There's nothing on that screen, is there? Uh, it's only on this screen today, and if you're listening online, you're wondering, what is he talking about? One of our screens is out today, so it makes us sort of Popeye-ish, and uh, everybody's looking in one direction. You folks had a hard time singing today, didn't you? Because you, you looked awkward going that direction. At any rate, here's what God's Word says in Romans chapter 10, verse 14. How can they call on Him, Jesus, to save them? unless they believe in him. And how can they believe in him if they have never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? So it's our responsibility to know him, to know about him, to know the truths about him, and then talk about those to other people. One of the easiest ways for us to do that is just talk about what your reading was that morning. And I got up this morning and I was reading such and such out of the scripture and this is what I found about God. Has God delivered any truths to you lately? Have you come to understand him more fully lately from his scripture? And just ask people about that and engage them in spiritual conversation. At any rate, uh, Jesus is asking this. So, okay, I get what other people are saying, but who do you say that I am? In fact, from the original language, we lose a little bit of the impact of that question. In the original language, there's emphasis. It says this, but you, who do you say that I am? Now, that's where it gets really important. It's not about what other people are saying about Jesus. It's not about what Randy, your preacher, says about him or your life group leader or your mama, what she says about him. It's what do you say? This is where Jesus gets down to the nitty-gritty. What about you? And he, you can kind of get that he's, he's looking at each of them, calling for them to make the, the connections with truth individually, personally, and make this declaration. And of course, Peter, and Peter just moved by God, says in a very concise way, you are the Christ, you're the son of the living God. I don't think you could ever find it packaged better than that sentence. 
Who is Jesus? He is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Everybody in here needs to memorize that verse and let it register deep within you so that when you're in conversation and somebody says, who is this Jesus? You tell them he is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now, what does that mean? We need to be able to kind of open that up some and talk about that. It's so concise that let's just unpack some of the truths that are there. First of all, he says, Lord, you are the Christ. Now, that obviously is a loaded word. It goes back richly into the Old Testament. And he's saying, you're the Christ, you're the appointed one and the anointed one of God that from the ages past, the scripture has been moving us towards. All the promises of God are found, yes, in you. All the prophecies of God are found in you. All the, the symbolic movement of worship is found in you. You are the anointed one. You are the king. You're the Messiah. You're the one we've been anticipating and longing for. You are him. So when you talk about Christ, you're talking about this long history of God saying, I'm going to make things right. You've broken it. You've marred it. But I'm going to make it right. And he was going to make it right by bringing the Christ into the world. Help people to discover that truth. So Peter says, first, you're the Christ. And then he says, you are the son of God. Not just a son of man, but you are a son of God. Not just flesh and blood, but you are God in the present. You're the son of God. And not just you're the son of God, God in the flesh before us, Remember Jesus later said to his disciples, I think it was Thomas who said, just show us the Father. We'll be satisfied if you just show us the Father. And he's like, are you kidding me? The Father and I are one. When you see me, you see the Father. He's the body form of the triune God. You know, it's God the Father, God the Spirit, God the Son. He's the bodily form of the triune God. You're seeing the Father. I'll show you another verse in a moment that really will hammer that home to you. So he's the son of God. You're the Christ. You're the one talked about from ages past to redeem us. You are the son of God who makes that possible perfect in, in that you're God. And you are the son of the living God. In other words, all life begins with you. All life comes back to you. You're the source of our living. So this is an amazing truth because... Although these disciples are living and breathing, their heart is going, their lungs are moving, their neurons are firing, the fact is they are spiritually dead unless the living God breathes life into them. And Peter, in a very succinct way, is just bringing all that, just gushing it out from his heart that has been placed there by God. Now, I think we all have to come to the same conclusion. It won't be by works that... Uh, you come to a point of salvation and redemption. It won't be by you doing good things. It will be by you coming to this conclusion of who Jesus Christ is. And can I just say, the promise of salvation is for everyone who is hearing my voice. There's not a single person who is discounted from that. God loves to take the most broken and most distant from him 
and do a miraculous work of grace, he is, his son is all the more glorified when he takes us out of those dark places and brings us into the glorious light of his kingdom. So Jesus Christ is this promised Messiah. He's the Son of God. He is God in the flesh, fully God and fully man who came to save sinners. Now the result of us coming to that conclusion is pretty astounding. Uh, I may be jumping ahead. If I am, Carson, I'm going to throw you a curveball here for a moment. This This is really so deeply placed within Peter that Jesus recognizes you didn't come to that one on your own. God has done that work. How many of you have come to the place where Peter was, where you've come to understand Jesus Christ is God in the flesh. He is the son of the living God. He's the Messiah, the one promised about, and all the promises of God are yes in him. How many of you have come to him in faith in that way? Raise your hand up. Man, has God done a great work in you. Because you can't come to that on your own. Only God can bring you and me to that kind of understanding. I'll circle back to that in a minute. So what happens when we come to that conclusion and come to that that understanding that God deposits in us about who Jesus Christ is? Well, here's some things that happen. Number one, we receive life through him. So maybe, you know, the doctor whacked you on the rear end and you started screaming. We've got some little babies in here today. How many days? Two weeks on Tuesday. A beautiful life, no question. But what those parents know right now, Josh and Jacob, is that they need God to breathe spiritual life into their little one. Because apart from God doing that, that little one will remain distant and removed from him. So when we come to an understanding of truth in God, that we're all in need of redemption. Josh and Jake are not going to have to teach their baby how to sin. That baby came into this world as a sinner. The flesh has sin deposits in it. And there are going to be desires of that baby's flesh that are going to be provoked, and that sinfulness is going to come out. But Jesus can change that. One day, Jesus will breathe life into that little one. And everything will be different. The old will pass away and the new will come. That baby will be born from above into the kingdom of God. And that's for every one of us who come to an understanding of faith. So Jesus brings us that life. And it's not just life like beating heart and and firing neurons. It's new life that's spiritual. You You and I are made of clay. We come from the dust and we will return to the dust. But Jesus will breathe life into us by his spirit. And this great confession, this understanding, this life given to this confession about who Christ is and submitted to him as the Messiah, he will breathe life into us. And not just life, but life eternal, spiritually transforms. All that comes at at this confession and this movement of life surrendered to that confession and we enter into the kingdom of God. You know what was happening when Peter was declaring who Jesus Christ is? The gate of the kingdom of God swung wide open. In that God was depositing this truth and Peter was acknowledging that the gate of the kingdom 
swung open. It's as if the Lord is saying, hey, I'm the gates. Come on through. Enter into the kingdom of God. That's, that's the way it is for us. Some of you might be working your way in your religion. You might be working your way into good works. You might be working your way to a new heart. You're not going to get there. Any other way into the sheepfold is not right. There is no other access point. Jesus is the door. And in this confession, the door just swings wide open. He says, come on in. And also we're delivered. We're delivered from being separated from God. Why are we separated from God? Because he's holy and righteous and without sin. And you and I are not. So we're far removed from him. But Jesus delivers us from being separated. How so? He takes our sin upon himself on the cross and dies with it and gives to us the deposit of his righteousness that he might declare us to be holy before God. Delivered from this life of separation. Boy, I keep going to the right, don't I? Y'all just point this way. It'll help me. Be delivered from the enslavement to sin. Hallelujah, there's a day that my flesh will be altogether new and it will never be influenced or touched or deposited by sin. Delivered from that. Never to be enslaved again. And of course, delivered from being experiencing the wrath of God and the death which is a result of our sin. There's an amazing thing that happens with this belief and confession and this life that is dedicated to it. All right, so throughout his ministry, Jesus has been revealing himself as being God throughout his teachings and throughout his, his uh, miracles. Let me, let me just point three of them to you. One is this. Jesus revealed that he and the Father are one. Now, that doesn't sound like it, but that's a claim of deity. Jesus is stating that he is God in the flesh in that. And I'll show you how that works out. In John chapter 10, verse 30, Jesus says, I and the Father are one. Now, that's a claim that Jesus is God. You say, well, how do you know that? Look at the response of the Jews. When they hear that, they picked up stones again to stone him. And Jesus answered them, have I shown you many good works from the Father, for which of them are you going to stone me? The Jews answered him, it's not for, your good, for a good work that you're going to, we are going to stone you, but for blasphemy, because you being a man, make yourself God. So they understood what he was saying. When the Father and I are one, they understood that Jesus was claiming that he is divine, that he is God, that he is God in the flesh in front of them. Here's another one. Jesus revealed himself as the great I am. Now remember where that phrase came from? It was in the desert. Moses tending his father-in-law's sheep. Remember this? God intervenes in his life. He, he has heard the cries of his people who are in slavery in Egypt. And he wants an agent of redemption. And Moses is the one he chooses. And he goes to Moses and he says, I want you to go and deliver my people. And Moses, in a stammering, stuttering kind of way, said, I, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to say. I don't even know if they ask me who sent me, who it is that I will say sent me. And God said to him, you tell them that I am sent you. And that's the way God describes himself. I am. So wherever you put, whatever time or whatever truth, whatever God, are, God is, he was before and he will be after. Because he is. I am. All right, so Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham, uh, Abraham, remember, that's their father. You, 
doesn't compare, but the closest thing you and I would come to as nationalists would say, George Washington, he's our guy. Or maybe Abe Lincoln, he's our guy. Right? That's the patriarchs for them. Just much, much deeper. Because a covenant promise from God is given through Abraham. So it's way deeper. But Jesus is saying, before Abraham, I am. So before the guy that you base everything on, I am. And it's not just that he was there, but he's saying, I am God. Now again, they pick up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. Now in today's world, we would say, oh, we need to abolish stones. Yeah, that may not go over too well in here. I don't, it doesn't matter to me, honestly, where you land on that whole discussion of Second Amendment. Here's what I want to show. The real issue is the heart of mankind, which is brutal and rebellious and filled with hatred and bigotry and will come against with whatever they can get their hand on to bring about the death of someone that they're against. So that's who they were. Jesus was saying, I am, and they said, we're going to bash your head in with a stone. We'll stone you. One more. Jesus revealed that he is God in the flesh. John testifies of this truth, saying the word became flesh and dwelt among us. What he's saying there, uh, he goes on to say, the glory as of this only son from the father, full of grace and truth. What he's saying there is the eternal word of God, God himself, has now revealed himself in the flesh. And who is he? He's the son of the father, full of grace and truth. That's Jesus. So Jesus, throughout his ministry, has been revealing this truth that he is the son of the living God. So Peter sort of gets it. God has deposited this truth in him and he's getting it. Now Jesus said, blessed are you. Not just blessed because you've said these things. No, no, it's, it's more than that. Blessed are you. So all you people who raised your hand a moment ago, who believe with conviction that truth that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, blessed are you. God has blessed you with that truth. For flesh and blood... You can't come to that on your own. In your own human capacity, you can't get there. Blessed are you, Simon Barjona. That's an interesting kind of name, isn't it? I am Randy Barjean. Bar means son of, and Jonah means his dad's name. Simon, son of Jonah. Randy, son of Jean. Blessed are you. Because flesh and blood, nobody taught you that nobody revealed that to you but god revealed that to you and isn't it beautiful that god has chosen from eternity past to put that deposit in you who are in faith in jesus christ glory be to him that he is depositing that kind of truth and maybe some of you are here today because you god is determined to deposit that truth in you so that you come to discover him in his son, the identity, and what he's accomplished, and what he's calling you to. And maybe today is going to be the day of salvation, where you give to that confession, and you live your life, surrender to it from here on out. So if you're coming to that conclusion, or you already have come to the conclusion, it's by God's great grace that you have that understanding and are saved. Now try as we might, 
We cannot recreate ourselves. We cannot regenerate. In the end, my body is going to die. Some of you, hopefully the really young ones of you, will look over my casket one day and you'll say something like, he's dead. No, I'm not. I moved out of the tent, but I can tell you I'm going to be alive in a house that my father has built, not made with the hands of man. Oh, you can look at the tent all you, well, actually, Kay and I have already committed to each other. We're having closed caskets. You can walk by the casket, and I hope she buys the very cheapest one. And when you walk by there, you know he trusted in Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, as the Messiah, and he ain't dead. Blessed am I, because in 1973, God deposited truth in my heart. And it changed everything. And maybe for some of you, blessed are you, because here on this April day, 2018, you're going to trust in Jesus. And your life will forever be changed. If that's you, then you're in good company if you're testifying of the grace of God. If you're testifying to the identity of who Jesus Christ is, you're in great company. People like Thomas, a disciple of Jesus, says, my Lord and my God to Jesus. When he came to understand and discover the resurrected Lord, that's exactly what he understood Jesus to be, his Lord and his God. And Paul says, our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Peter not only gives the testimony in this passage that Matthew is speaking of, but he writes it in his epistle. Our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So you're in good company. If you have a testimony of who Jesus Christ is as the Messiah, the Son of the living God, and God even testifies of who His Son is, who Jesus Christ is. The passages are pretty interesting. One is a progressive uh, revelation about Jesus, which means the passage is written with an immediate context of King David, but it goes further into the future of King David's offspring, Jesus. And he gives us this in this passage by saying, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of your kingdom is a scepter of uprightness. So what is Jesus saying, uh, God saying, the Father saying about his Son? He is God forever and ever. His kingdom is forever. And he is forever upright, filled with righteousness. But how, how about this one in Isaiah? We normally read this one at Christmas time, but man, it's a great one to read on this day as well because God is declaring who Jesus Christ is. It says, For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called, and let's call this out loud. Everybody reading at the same time. Ready? Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. That's what God says about Jesus, his son, that he is wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father. He is prince of peace. That's God's declaration about Jesus. So no wonder it's a big deal and blessed deal where Simon or you or me, where we come to conclusion that Jesus is the Messiah, the son of the living God. God has been saying it and those around him have been saying it as well. All right, look. The world is going to be okay with you recognizing Jesus. 
especially if you recognize him as a historical figure. The world is not going to have a problem with you believing and even testifying of your belief that Jesus was actually a son of man, that he lived in the world. And I would say the world's going to be okay that you even testify that he did good things and that he brought peace to the world. In fact, almost every other major religion of the world says that Jesus was a prophet and a teacher. The world has no trouble with you recognizing the historicity of Jesus or the great work of Jesus Christ. Where they have a problem is that you not just claim him to be son of man, but you understand him to be son of God. See, he has to be son of man because only a son of man could die. And he has to be son of God because only a son of God would live righteously. And the combination of those two, a man who would be willing to die with the full righteousness as God, only he could provide redemption and salvation. So it's essential that you and I understand and proclaim Jesus Christ is the Son of the living God. And he alone can take the sin away and trade it with righteousness. And he alone can take death away and give us life. And he alone can take us away from the separation of God and put us in the presence of God where we can live eternally. Oh, my friends, I pray that today, if you've yet to discover him in that way, that today God has blessed you and given you that understanding, and that you'll make your proclamation, and your life will be lived in that proclamation from this day forward, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And for those of us who have done that, our life is lived with that testimony of who Jesus Christ is. May the end of this service be one of those hallelujah moments where we Claim again the wondrous work of God to help us to understand the truth of salvation and to move towards that. May the song that we sing be sweeter because God has made such a dynamic and grace-filled deposit of truth into us. May the outpouring of that faith which has been given to us be evident in our living from this day forward like never before. Would you bow with me and pray? So in this moment, Father, we thank you for your word that has been proclaimed by your spirit. And we ask, God, that you would let it not to just be heard with ears, but heard with a deep heart. God, I pray that there would not be a single person who would be willing to continue to live in their own direction, in their own way, and in their own sin, but that every person in this room would deny themselves, take up the cross, and follow you. They would proclaim Jesus as the great Messiah, the promised one who alone can bring salvation, the Son of Man, Son of God. And I pray that their life would come from Him to be lived different from this day forward. And we pray this, trusting in Him as our Savior, our Lord, and Messiah. In His name.